Welcome to the Ecarosphere, a podcast about sustainable mobility and entrepreneurship, sponsored by Ecara.com. Ecara is a sustainable mobility platform built to reduce pollution and help people utilize sustainable vehicles. While other car services offer last-minute in-personal solutions, the eCar app allows riders and operators to fully customize every aspect of their ride, down to the desired mood, music, pricing, and stops along the way. eCar attracts emission savings and air quality. We'll leave the planet free for every ride completed. Here are the hosts, Sanal and Rock. Thank you, Susan, for uh, this opportunity to, you know, take part in our podcast series. And uh, it is a pleasure to have you here. Uh, please tell us a bit about yourself. Oh, my goodness. So I um, have the pleasure as, of working as the assistant director of the Office of Environmental Quality and Sustainability uh, for the city of Dallas. And so what uh, my primary uh, service is in that position is uh, we developed a climate plan locally uh, and now we are implementing it. Um, and I would say um, our plan is largely both science and community-based. Um, we met with multiple people, <laughs> thousands of people in about 200 plus meetings um, to really make sure that our plan um, fits the needs. It's not just a copy of what they did in New York or San Diego. It's a Dallas plan. Um, it's also science-based. Um, there are a lot of metrics um, that we keep track of um, to make sure that we're actually moving things forward. Our, our our direction from our city council was um, not to make another pretty plan that sits on the shelf. And so that that's our directive. Um, it is a pretty plan, but it is on my desk and it's open. I've got stickies and highlighting and scribbles in it um, so that we can, in effect, uh, keep looking at it uh, using adaptive management, what works, what doesn't work uh, as we do updates greenhouse gas inventory we'll take a look at where we are on um, meeting our, our ultimate goals which are to be compliant with the Paris climate accord and get to net zero emissions and those are those are big goals um, and I don't know that we would make those goals without the support of the community and without the support of our local business um, community as well that's awesome. You know, I want to talk about that because I think that uh, this synergy with um, change as we need to see it happen is going to take more than the city. It's going to take uh -huh. more than, you know, it's this is a this is an effort that we all have to participate in. I say that a lot because it is a massive amount of change, right? You are absolutely correct. Um, one of the lessons learned is we've been doing uh, emissions inventory uh, from the city facilities since 2005. Um, when we did the 2015 inventory, we did a full uh, ICLE-based um, greenhouse gas inventory that included the community emissions as well as our own. 
um, and looking at all three scopes. And the, the good news is uh, the municipal emissions dropped by 68%, which was kind of sort of twice of our 39% goal. Um, but the bad news that went along with that is there were only two to 3% of the emissions in the city of Dallas for the whole 385 square miles. And so even if the city went to negative emissions on our own inventory, which is a hope, um, we're still not going to get where we need to go and we're still not going to be able to actively contribute to uh, the goals for the state, the goals for the country and the, the end of the, the end of the world, end of the road is basically meeting those Paris climate agreement goals. Um, right. right. Which, which is a lot of the responsibility on, on us, right? The community uses and produces, I mean, if you guys are a city municipal is only what 2%. I mean, like, yeah. So that to me, that says we absolutely need to reach out to the community. We absolutely need to work with our businesses um we it's all hands on deck it's it's not something that the city can do by themselves right what what does the community need to know um as a whole and i know there's a lot of information there's a lot that people can do but just i guess high high line thinking what are some basic things that the community needs to know as as they produce a lot of these greenhouse gases well, I think I think that's it. It's it is we all have a role and it's easy to sit back and say, oh, well, it's China or it's India or it's Russia or it's New York or San Diego. It's not me, but it is all of us collectively. Um, the other really good lesson that I learned in some of our community outreach is I met with a um, South Dallas community and this sweetest little old lady came shuffling up in her slippers and told me that her daughter had made her come to this meeting and she really wasn't interested in climate because she loves polar bears, but they're in Alaska and she's in Dallas. And so it doesn't relate to her. And, but she said, but you weren't talking about polar bears. You were talking about me being able to afford my power bill um, and be comfortable both in the, in the summer and in the winter um, you're talking about getting access to good transportation so I can get to good jobs. You're talking about having access to food. She goes, you're talking about stuff I care about. Um, and so, and that's really what, that was an important lesson um, because that means the decisions that we make in a household by household basis um, can affect that. And it's, it's little things. It's what you eat. Um, it's, um, you know, as we look bigger picture, we're trying to redesign some of our neighborhoods so that they can be walkable, so that we have access to medical care. You don't have to go clear across town. So there are jobs so that you don't have to drive from um, Joppy up to Plano to get a decent job to get a living wage. And so there's a lot of things that are in that that aren't directly environmental and aren't directly climate related. But at the end of the day, they do. If you're walking to a job in your neighborhood and not having to drive by yourself to Plano um, or work two or three jobs, we have a lot of residents that have to do that as well. Um, your emissions profile is going to be a lot smaller. For sure. For sure. You know, those 
things that you mentioned, I feel like now post COVID, um, there's an opportunity to change. Like there's drastic change everywhere. Like there's a lot of kind of, well, what do we do now kind of thing, you know, echoing in all sectors of all business and, you know, even what we eat, I think, you know, yep. now it's like, holy crap. Now, now we know that a lot of the food that we're eating was too fasted, processed and not very healthy. And maybe there's opportunities for us you know, to, to, to just like, you know, Kanal and I talk about this all the time. It's like, how do we hack the supply chain to save sustainably? And like going back and we're paying a premium for things that are, you know, shipped and we got all the stuff to, attached to it, the supply chain management of it. Why don't we start paying the premiums for stuff that's local, you know, that, that are more green and more healthy and more. Yeah. Well, and realistically, if we can produce those things locally, the costs for getting them from farm to table in particular are a lot lower. Um, right. And you don't lose as much in uh, warehousing and, and uh, logistics. Um, it's a, it's a shorter route. So we're looking at some things like that. Um, I think, you know, I, I am on some cohorts with climate mayors, with other cities, um, both in the U S and internationally. And, um, a lot of places are using COVID, um, as a way of building back better as we come back from this, um, let's be more thoughtful. Let's be more sustainable. Let's be better social neighbors because we do have um, the opportunity to make significant social impacts as well. Um, and that's why Build Back Better, which is the, um, so they call it the social package, but it really isn't. It supports people that work. Um, coming out of Congress is critically important. That's where a lot of the climate um, funding is that will help us move the needle on climate here in the U.S. Um, but it is that social safety net. Um, and, we're, you know, we're, we've become more aware of supply chain vulnerability. We've become more aware of um, our climate vulnerability. And really, we've become a lot more aware of some of the social issues that have been festering for a while. Um, right. And and so I look at what we're doing right now as a, an opportunity to, to literally build back better. I know that sounds cliche, but we have an opportunity. Um, anytime you have a major impact, you have the ability to come back for it. And, you know, the definition of resilience is, is, is that bouncing back. Right. Well, the community has a really huge part in this. And, you know, I think it's not fair sometimes for um, cities and municipalities to try to clean up everybody's mess. And, and a lot of times people don't even know they're making a mess. I agree with you. We, we find a lot of residents that think it's the city's job to make sure that we have a clean, healthy environment. Um, and so, I mean, I'm looking down my street right now and it's bulk trash week and we've got piles of stuff. Um, I won't say the four letter word that it really is, but we've got piles of stuff in everybody's front yard. And, and there are people that adamantly believe that is a service that the city should provide is cleaning that up. Um, right. some cities do it, some don't. So it's, um, 
I, I do think we're moving more towards personal responsibility. Um, we've had a public health challenge. Um, some people don't necessarily want to um, work towards that greater good. And I think that's the big challenge is, is really, um, you know, back in 1918, they also had protests and people that didn't, we didn't have shots then, but they didn't want to wear masks. And, um, but in World War One and Two, there was a lot of emphasis on sacrifice for the greater good of the community. And I think we need to be working towards um, that collective um, thought process again, um, how things that you do as an individual and as a family um, can both positively and negatively impact that greater good. Right, right. Yeah, we're so addicted to, to, to too much. And sometimes mm -hmm. that's, um, you know, turns into trash because we don't want it long or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, I had this interesting thought, and I know you you got you may have a little bit more insight uh, than we do, but historically, and I know you've been working with flood plant planning and things like that, has the weather patterns um, brought on a negative impact over time in the city? Um, I, it's combined things. We are seeing some significant changes in our weather. Uh, last night was one. Um, we got something crazy for rainfall uh, in November. Um, we don't normally get crazy thunderstorms in November with a lot of rain all at once. So um, that is something that's different. Um, in 2015, we went from significant level three drought with water restrictions. Uh, our reservoirs, there are four reservoirs for water supply upstream of Dallas. All four of them were in, um, they were at about 25% of the yield, which is in the scary zone. Right. Um, we got our annual amount of rainfall that following month in May. All four of those reservoirs went from 25% yield to uncontrolled overflow. In other words, even if the Corps of Engineers wanted to control it, they couldn't. Um, and they were trying to figure out how to prevent flooding near the reservoirs versus the city of Dallas. Um, they did, I think, in hindsight, a really good job. Um, there was flooding and there was flooding for months. We closed down Loop 12 for what, something like six weeks because there was a big puddle of water because we kind of sort of hadn't built that flood pumping station near that road yet. Uh, it's under construction. So, um, but you know, in the, in the after event conversations with the Corps of Engineers and the state and local emergency managers, um, and actually even the USGS, you've got some fairly seasoned hydrologists that were shaking their head, saying that that event was beyond the statistics that those reservoirs had been designed for, and that none of their models had all four of them overflowing at the same time. Um, and so that's really, that was the aha, ooh, this stuff's real for mm -hmm. most of the emergency managers, and I know the city's drainage group. Um, that was a tough time. 
Um, so that was kind of our aha. One of the things that most people don't know, but uh, when they do modeling for drainage, they use um, statistical records for the 30 years prior to that. Well, so my friends at, at the Weather Service and NOAA have issued a new rainfall atlas for Texas that increases the design rainfalls um, because the last 30 years worth of data has increased over time. And so to be conservative in our designs, we're now designing for more rainfall. Here in North Texas, it's not that big a deal. It's less than an inch. The rainfall amounts uh, in South Texas and Houston area uh, increased by about 14 inches. And so, um, you know, the, the engineers are working um, to do what they can, um, but it's real. Um, we're getting on average warmer summers. We're getting that variability between going from really dry to getting your annual rainfall in a month or a day. Or, I mean, we, we are getting um, more sporadic weather patterns. So yes, in weather is day to day, if it's raining or not, climate is that pattern over time. So we are seeing some changes in local climate. Um, Snowmageddon uh, back in February. Whoa, uh, that was, was a, an anomaly. It was an anomaly. I've been in Texas for, well, I'm 48. I left for 10 years. So 38 years in Texas for sure. And that's never, ever, 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 ever. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. We've gotten cold. We've gotten snow. Um, we've gotten freezing, but not all at the same time and not for an extended period. So that is, a, it, it is a, an anomaly from uh, variations in the jet stream as the yeah. difference between the poles and the lower 48 grows um, or, or decreases, then that jet stream that brings the cold air down has more wiggle room. And mm -hmm. so that's, that's what they think happened. Um, it happened 10 years ago, but not to the extent this time. Um, happened another 10. So it's, it's, it's on a, a cycle of every 10 years. Um, so we hope, we well, hope, I well, I mean, 10 years, is that's, better that's than what the data shows so far. Mm -hmm. What is in the future? We don't know. Um, Texas leads the country in billion dollar plus disasters for the period from 1980, uh, to 2020. Um, we've spent over 240 billion, and that doesn't include the estimated 130 billion from Snowmageddon. And it, I don't know that they count. They're looking at, at insurance losses um, and funding to clean things up. They're not looking at the personal loss of people that die, um, right. people that. Uh, are trying to stay warm and they've got heaters going or whatever and, and just don't wake up. Um, and to me, that's probably in the great scheme of things more critical. For sure. For sure. I, I want to bring out the one, one quick second that like these disasters that we have, I want to make sure that people don't think that this is, you know, not connected. It's connected. It's like connected. Our, our, all of the things that we do day to day, our carbon footprint, the things that we do are contributing to these issues. And then when it happens, we like, oh, 
why is that happening? Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I would say that more and more, and, and actually in a way, Snowmageddon was a good thing because it woke up a lot of people. Um, I am pleased because when we did our climate plan, we there were two areas where we had the right solution, but it came from the wrong place. Um, the right solution is resilience hubs um, where we can keep the lights on um, and people have a place to go if the power's out. Um, originally, we were looking at storm events like the tornadoes, like um, summer storms, summer heat. Um, but, you know, and, and so it's in the plan already. But in Snowmageddon, um, we, our shelters lost water, did not have heat. Um, the fire suppression systems in those facilities froze. Um, and then the pipes broke. And, and so we sustained a lot of damage to our shelters. And so it's like, well, um, maybe we need to, you know, so it's that resilience thing. We need places where people can go and the lights are on and, and the water's running and, and we're good. Our water system did great. Our water utility plans on a 50 year scenario and they have actually incorporated both temperature and precipitation variability into their models. So our, that's the one shining star and that where things went well. Uh, we didn't have oil notices, but we also didn't have heat. But so the resilience faction was in the plan, but it was based on um, summer storms instead of winter, but it still works. The other place is we knew we had food deserts and we knew we had uh, folks that didn't have access to healthy food. Um, what we didn't know was that we have thousands of families that are one paycheck out of a food line. Um, and we really didn't understand the supply chain related to food where it's pretty well bifurcated. There's a, there's a commercial and restaurant sector, and then there's the groceries and home sector. And those are different, typically, typically different supply chains. And so on one hand with people not going to restaurants, they're throwing food away. And then a lot of the people that work in those restaurants are around the corner in a food line um, because they don't have funding to get food. And so the residential side had runs and no toilet paper and um, empty shelves. And so we now understand that's a challenge that we need to work on too. So it was in there, it was, it was in there to work on food access, but we didn't necessarily understand the whole uh, breadth of the why we needed to tackle that right. if that makes sense yeah yeah a lot of a lot of change a lot of opportunity for change this is i, I feel like we're in a good place like you said uh, a lot of the things that we we just experienced the, the the resilience part of that is exciting you know we get to learn mm -hmm. from it we get to grow from it and we get to fix some of the things and, and really realize some things but I really feel like as a community, we need to really uh, just make people more aware that all these things are connected. And so when we're experiencing these massive floods or these extreme cold temperatures, 
our day-to-day -day utilization and footprint has a connection and we just mm -hmm. need to be aware of that maybe mm -hmm. that's a part of i i think that's a true i mean i don't know how much money could go into like making people aware but that change in the community mindset could be a massive amount of savings long term of the upside of that and you know in the macrocosm you know i agree with that the one caveat that i would place is that it is collective on an individual and then as at a community and corporate level all three um there has been a movement within some aspects of our business community um that is emphasizing personal footprint um while they maybe kind of sort of are um off gassing waste gas methane from their own facilities um, that are a hundred times more what you or I are doing on our day-to-day -day basis. And so it needs to be a collective effort across the board. And I, I don't, I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to be carbon footprint shaming individuals when it is a collective challenge, if totally. that makes sense. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's awesome. We're, uh, Coming up on 30 minutes. Uh, and all you got anything you wanted to ask Miss Susan? Oh, oh I, you, did ask her, you wanted to ask her about her uh, experience with the car because she has used our service before. I have used your service and it's all kinds of up and down and sideways fabulous. <laughs> so um, I was one paycheck away from paying off my hybrid. Um, and unfortunately, I had an altercation with a very large Mercedes SUV. Um, you and, and your car, your car, and your car had an entanglement? They had an entanglement and um, their car won. Um, and so they very nicely hauled my, my little almost paid off hybrid um, to a lot in East Dallas and told me I had till a certain time to come get my stuff out of the car because it was going to be totaled. Um, I knew about eCara because they participate in the EV Ride Week. Um, and so I actually had met Rock then, um, became familiar with his firm then. And it's like, ooh, I need a ride. I'm going to call him up. And what I didn't know is that you're supposed to call up well in advance. Um, but uh, Rock very nicely pretended to be one of the drivers and came and picked me up and we drove over from North Oak cliff to Mesquite, which is a pretty, pretty sizable drive and had an opportunity to really chat uh, during that drive. Uh, the service was great. Uh, the cars are extremely comfortable. There was room for all the stuff out of my car in the back. So uh, it was a happy thing. And I got to really get to know rock uh, through that service. So, um, I have recommended eCara to my friends. I love that all the vehicles are electric. I love that they've got air quality sensors on them so that they're picking up data towards what our air quality in Dallas looks like. And I love their program for planting trees uh, for the rides that people take. So it, um, they provide a lot of good service in the form of their business model. Um, and we're excited about them moving into Love Field soon. Yeah, thank you for that, Susan. That's a can't get a better review than that. So thank you.
Uh, well, I got personalized service from the, the head of the company. It was really funny because he was like pretending to be, I'm your driver for today. And then I realized, wait a minute, this guy is the head of the company. Well, hell, back then I probably was pretending. I probably was. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> to keep things going. But um, we're excited about... Um, you know the opportunity to serve over at Love Field. We just we just got all of that stuff worked out, and um, we're going to go in Monday and start doing some testing to just understand the flow and how how we want to kind of be there and help the tourists and travelers in the in the airport, and you know hopefully just see where it goes. Again, you know we're just trying to start something here and create some some synergies with uh you know sustainable transportation and see where it goes but uh you know hopefully we can help those other operators move into electric vehicles too that's the other kind of part of the platform is how can we give those guys tools and you know vehicles to use and and to help clean up the uh the uh, greenhouse gas situation too with with exhaust so I'm excited about it. We'll have some good stuff to share soon. Yeah, yeah, likewise. Yeah, very cool. Well, Susan, thank you for your time this morning. I know you're kind of like on break, but not on break. So have a good day. To I always to try to find the time to talk with you because you are a very interesting um, man to talk with. Same, likewise, likewise. Thank you so much. So look forward to uh, things in the future and helping out with the climate action plan. And we have to kind of like join, join arms here and, and make something happen. Sounds good. Cool. Uh, uh, if you guys mind, can I ask a question? Sure. Certainly. So, you know, I, uh, this this question we were discussing with, uh, we were, Rock and I were discussing and that kind of hit me. So I thought, you know, I should, in, you know, interrupt you right there, like hold you for one more question, you know. Sure. So uh, I don't know if you touched on this, but, you know, we are seeing, uh, you know, the rising sea levels and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, so with that aspect, what would be the city's uh, foresight with respect to, you know, how to combat the rising sea levels on uh, the, you know, cars driving on the roads, for example. So that, that's a great question. Um, I don't want to seem heartless um, because our greatest risk here, I work for the city of Dallas. Our greatest risk here is not necessarily sea levels. Um, it is flooding and it is storms with straight light winds. That said, uh, the sea level um, is realistically a critical impact and is impacted by what we do with emissions here in Dallas. It's one of those butterfly effect kind of things. What we do here impacts our friends in Galveston and Houston. Um, I think one of the other things that we will see from that and it can be considered to be controversial, I think it's a net positive, is that we are already seeing climate-related migration um, yes. from South and Central America. Um, we have jobs right now that are unfilled. Um, that is a huge opportunity to help our local economies and just recognize that we will see migration from the coastal areas and we will see 
migration from our friends in countries south of the U.S. Um, and, and it is uh, a net positive, I think, to our economy um, to have um, additional, what is it, um, the guy from the central bank, from the U.S. Federal Reserve Bank has a name for it. Uh, oh, human capital. So that is additional human capital to drive our economy here in Dallas. So I think it's a net positive. Um, but cities like Miami, cities like New Orleans, cities like Houston and Galveston are seeing increasing um, Charleston. Um, those coastal, even New York for that matter, is seeing increased flood events. Um, yeah that is a constraint and an opportunity. Um, ironically, here in Texas, we're looking at a flood wall, a $22 billion flood wall, um, to protect the refineries along the coast. Um, that's somewhat ironic. Ooh. <laughs> that's a, that's a, um, yeah, I don't want to go too much further because I'll get myself in trouble, but yeah. it is real. Um, I saw something where Miami typically has their roadways underwater during moderate high tides now. And it's, you know, it's coming. Um, New, York, New Orleans has similar issues, even though they've got levees now. So it, it is, while it's, we're not directly impacted, what we do here in Dallas impacts other places around the world, really. Um, sure. And so that's, that's where, you know, I told you the thing about our municipal emissions versus city of Dallas. We are working with other cities in the Metroplex right now on a, a regional greenhouse gas inventory. And we realize that the city of Dallas emissions are 20, 25% of what we're doing as a region. So it really is a collective challenge and it really is, we have some collective opportunities. And that's where getting back to working for that social good um, or the collective social welfare is so critically important. Right. You know, that's a good question, Kamala. And that, and that, it was. We, 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 can talk, we can talk a long time about the, <laughs> the, the, the migration issue. When I worked at yeah. Apple in 2013, 14, we were, we were talking about these things. And that, at that time, the predictions were 70% of people who live along the coast to move inland. Now take that. And then you add the infrastructure to support all those people. That's a massive amount of change. Just massive amount of change. Like you said, human capital, but it also turns into utilization and carbon footprint. So it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's a well, and that's why it's critical that we look at how we develop and redevelop. Um, because we're, we know, I think the North Central Texas Council of Governments has estimates of millions of people coming to the DFW Metroplex. How do we fit those people um, in a good way um, so that they have a happy home here in the Metroplex and so that we're able to have water supply, food supply, have the power we need um, and so our friends at the COG are also looking at some of these challenges as well. Um, I, I don't see migration as a bad thing. I think it helps the diversity of the city. I think um, it helps 
round out. I mean, we we have a fairly significant um, gap between people that want to work um, and jobs. Employers mm -hmm. are struggling to hire people. In a way, it's good because it means that the it's going to force uh, wages to be such that people can live off of the their jobs or job. Um, but but in the in the plus side, I really think that it, it is it will be helpful to us in the long run. For sure, yeah, migration is good. Um, it it also just helps and bring us opportunity. So opportunity mm -hmm. to change, opportunity to innovate. Um, all those things are good and we just have to stay focused and keep up with it. And, um, and like you said, also too, those, our friends in Houston and Galveston, what they do affect us. So mm -hmm. it, you know, they, they've got to be really, uh, thoughtful about the things that, that are happening down there too. And that's, you know, my hometown. So, um, a lot of, a lot of cool stuff. So, all right. All right. Well, I know you got stuff to do, and we've took almost an hour of your time, so we're going to let you finish your day, and um, awesome. look forward to chatting soon. But all thank right, you. take care. Thank, thank you. you. Thank Bye. you so much. Thank you all. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.